Pet Resource Radio is sponsored by La Mega KC, Kansas City Spanish radio station. Listen online or at 100.5 FM. We're also sponsored by our friends at 1KC Radio. Listen at 100.1 in the KC Metro or online at 1KCRadio.org. You have a cat named Beans, don't you? Bean? What are you? Nugget? How long have we worked together? <laughs> Wait, I know it. I don't. Why? I know it. It's literally on my cubicle. I have two pieces of paper on my cubicle with my cat's names on them. Squeaks. That's what it was. Okay, well, what's the other one's name? Tanar. Tanar is the other one's name. I'm never going to remember that. That's fine. How do you help provide dozens of tons of pet food to the community every year with a lot of help, of course? We're chatting about what it takes to run a pet food pantry on this episode of Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Kelly Johnson, and welcome to the show. We're coming to you from the small, tiny room and the big building here at the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services. That is true. How are you, Kelly? I'm doing good. We. It's been a whirlwind. It's been a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. It's good. There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of changes. A lot but of changes. Good changes. Right. Things yeah. in the works. They're secret. We can't talk a about lot of it. Secrets. Why are we even saying it on mic? I don't know. Who knows? Um, it's getting warmer, which is nice. Yeah. It's good. We're about to start promoting uh, flea prevention a little bit more because this is the time of year when uh, pets need it These the are, most. Yeah. They they get active. Um, they being, you know, gross bugs that do bad things. Yeah, I remember my cat first time he got fleas, and I was disgusted for a week. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, uh, Beth is still paranoid about uh, fleas after we got fleas once. And yeah, and yeah. like I'll see like little flakes in my bed, and it's nothing. But I'll be like, oh my god, that's flea residue. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's like nothing. Yeah. Um, well, I tell you what. Why don't we go do a little bit of pet news? Okay, let's go. First up, let's give you a scenario. A first-time dad is having a picnic in a public park with his six-month-old son. Pet owner with two unleashed puppies lets them run up to the dad and son, despite the dad's warnings to the owner to get their dogs. What do you do? If your Redditor other underscore computer underscore 7702, you get incredibly angry and swear at the owner of the pups until he takes them and leaves. He brought this situation to a Reddit group where people vote on whether or not the poster was in the wrong. It has a name, but we can't say it here. Reactions were mixed, to put it mildly. So who's in the right? We say nobody. Nobody wins any prizes, and everybody fails the test. The poster in question was undoubtedly being a jerk. Yelling, screaming, and swearing are not the way to handle that kind of a situation. Granted, this is a man who openly admits about dogs, quote, I think they are gross. I avoid them. I do anything I can to not have them in my life. So maybe the deck was stacked a bit. But on the other hand, are dogs grosser than, you know, you're in the park with your six-month-old son who is most likely um, sitting in his own urine or feces um, in that in that exact moment? Um, you know, you make the call. The owner of the pups, on the other hand, was making a number of mistakes. First, this is not a dog park. 
Dogs should be on leashes. End of discussion. Second, not everybody likes dogs or is comfortable with dogs, and some people have autoimmune disorders or allergies that require them to keep their distance from pets. That needs to be accounted for when you have dogs in public. Third, puppies are most susceptible to getting diseases like leptospirosis and parvo, both of which can be caught in parks just like that. The moral of the story, think about things for a second and recognize that other people aren't you. Uh, It helps smooth a lot of tricky situations over. It is tricky because I think of it in two ways. You're like actively screaming in front of your baby, which is kind of scary for the baby. But also, I don't know if I trust you because you don't like dogs. It's a weird thing. And I'm a cat person. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a strange thing. Like I get people not liking dogs. It's a a much stranger thing to me when um, they actively dislike dogs and think they're gross. Gross, yeah. And I'm like – we are biological organisms just like them. We're pretty gross. We're disgusting. <laughs> so I don't know what you're upset about. And maybe, you know, I don't know. We're animals. We're all animals, man. Okay. <laughs> okay. So for our next pet news, the top dog names for the year have been compiled by Camp Bowell, a national doggy daycare and boarding franchise. And here they are. Luna, Bella, Charlie, Daisy, Lucy, Cooper, Max, Bailey, Milo, Sadie. Hmm. Those top three, Luna, Bella, and Charlie, are holdovers from the previous year, meaning that their popularity refuses to wane, and the tsunami of Lunas and Bellas will continue for years to come. But more than that, six of those names on that top ten are actually in the top hundred names for babies. Is the line between fur child and human child blurring? Hmm. Yes. For sure. And same as it ever was, people are still just sort of naming their dogs after whatever they see on TV. With Yellowstone increasing the popularity of names such as Dutton and Rip and the names Hawkeye and Luca gaining a big leap in popularity. At least we're out of the Khaleesi woods. So what do you think are some good dog names? I I personally like naming dogs after like – I like naming a dog like Abraham Lincoln. Oh, my God. I love that. Um, or naming them like, um, let's see, what's another good one? Um, Bruce Lee. See, I, I like giving them names like that, but I just like random names. Like there was a puppy that came in here mm-hmm. and we named him Steve. Yeah. And my family thinks that's ridiculous, but I just like that. A human name. I like human names for pets. Yeah. Why not? But my parents named their dog Coda instead of Luna. Hmm. And I must say it was a better choice. Kodiak is what they named it. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well. It's not my favorite. My mom listens to this podcast, so she knows I'm a little bitter. Sure, sure. She didn't choose my name, but that's okay. Fine. Okay. All right. So let's move on to our main feature where we're going to look at our pet food pantry. It was one of our first big outreach projects, and it's been going for over a decade. When I started with the organization seven years ago, I was actually in charge of it. Did it give me panic attacks? You bet it did. There's a lot of things happening at once, and it can be chaotic and overwhelming. Which makes the fact that it's now run by volunteers even more impressive. Ginny handles application processing to make sure people qualify for pantry and two other volunteers, Marcos and Caitlin, oversee the actual events, organizing and prepping and making things as efficient as possible because these events are busier than ever. So here at the beginning of National Volunteer Week, we want to take you inside the pet food pantry, how it works, how it helps. And honestly, to show off what our volunteers do for the community, especially our friend Marcos, who's been a volunteer longer than most of us have been with the organization. He's a special guy, and he and his partner Dylan hold a special place in our hearts and in our work. 
Yeah. 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 That's what we're working on. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And the, we got you your food, and I'll check on your card, okay? okay. Cool. Thanks, guys. My name is Ray Lindsay, and I'm the outreach and mobile manager here at Pet Resource Center. When it comes to food pantry, I handle the acquisition of the food and that in scheduling the volunteers to work on all the administrative part of the pantry goes and the physical evenings of the pantry, making sure we have enough people at those at those events and that they're being led by volunteers, that applications are being processed. I am just getting the food in the building. And then everybody, volunteer-wise, is taking care of getting it out to the people who need them. The boxes and do uh, 20 pounds there. So we should have plenty of dog food. There's already cat food prepped inside that I'm going to pull out first. There are eight-pound bags on the transit. We can save those for families who have multiple cats and use those first before we hand out the smaller bags. Yeah, I think with us, too, it's 15 people, if everybody should. Yeah, Dylan won't be here, so we'll have 14. to have somebody do traffic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there's one gone. Dylan's at the zoo. Oh, that sounds fun. I know. It's a perfect day for the zoo. So over the years, we've, with the help of like Kristen and Bree, who oversee our, our volunteer program, we've determined we have volunteers who are just as capable, if not maybe more, than us on running some of our programs. Pet Food Pantry, I think, was the first program that we put 100% trust into our volunteers to run it. Yeah. Um, I always like to tell people, I honestly, I stumbled across at the time it was Spain or Kansas city. Cause um, I needed low cost vaccination services for my pets. Volunteer Marcos Harders. Um, I actually walked in one Saturday to take advantage of the services and saw a friend of mine who was volunteering here, um, Leanna. And a uh, week later, sitting in a volunteer class and I've kind of been with it ever since. And, you know, um, the reason I do it is there are always, there's always someone in the community that needs assistance. And, um, I liked, or I like PRC's philosophy of, you know, making sure people have, have what they need, um, without discrimination, um, not judging them based on their ability to pay, um, not basically judging them based on their situation is, you know, if we have it, we'll, we'll gladly get it for them if we have it. Um, and if not, we'll find resources, you know, in order to help them get what they need in order to keep their pets with them. Um, and, you know, we, every, every time we do pantry, there's always someone who is so grateful, so thankful, you know, clients are always, you know, God bless you for being here. You know, thank you so much for what you do. And, um, you can really tell, you know, the, the, um, gratitude people have for this, organization and what we're able to supply for them we give them these and then they give them to the runners to put the food in the back of the cars volunteer caitlin carey uh, i give out applications if they're if it's their first time or they need their cars expiring need to renew and calendars all right so i've been working the pet food pantry now five years it was one of the first programs that I was given to oversee when I started. When I started, we were seeing about 50 to 75 families in the entire program, whether it was on Monday night or Saturday afternoon, we were helping about 50 families. Now, today, the report that I ran, we're seeing 250 
to 300 families. So what is that? Five times, it's grown five times, which means we have to get five times more food. We have to have five times more volunteers to help. And so it's growing tremendously. During COVID, it grew even more, but I think it's because people were reaching out at a time of need and it slowed down and it slowed down after COVID, but something is going on now in 2020, end of 2022 into 2023, where our, our numbers have spiked. Welcome. Thank you guys for coming out on this awesome Saturday afternoon. Actually, it turned out to be a really nice day. <laughs> it was cold this morning. Um, cool. Well, thank you for taking your Saturday afternoon. We really appreciate it. Um, I think most everybody here has done a pet food pantry before, with the exception of, tell me your first name. Joan. Joan. Joan, this is Joan. Joan, this is everybody. Um, so if you have any questions during the day, please let me know. Um, Dylan is not here. So Oliver's going to be doing traffic. Caitlin and Devin Devin are going to be doing paperwork. Um, so I know we have some people filling up cat food. So if you want to continue doing that and then I think, well, I think we're okay on dog food for now. So we'll have you and your mom load food if that's okay. And then you and these two can load food. He has been volunteering since before I started. So volunteer services manager, Bree Wasinger. Yeah. He has been here for a long time. Um, and he, in that time has volunteered 1,056 hours. (laughs) Yeah. So if you just start loading up this cart with cat food, we can just leave it in the cart when we take it out there instead of unloading it. Because then we also have eight pound bags on the transit that we're going to use. So okay. once you have this loaded, I would just take one cart out okay. of it out. And then once we have this loaded up, um, I'll have you guys start taking food off of the transit. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Marcos um, has so much enthusiasm. So, I mean, whether he is working the food pantry, whether he's out at a drive through whether he has, you know, come into the clinic to help with something. I mean... Whether he has showed up to check for a microchip on a, a stray that he found while he was driving to do some completely other thing. He is enthusiastic and the love that he has for animals just shines. He really cares about helping animals. He really cares about helping people and supporting this organization to reach our goals. Oh, I'm going to go Okay. So, no, yeah, for sure. You. But let me get a couple cars in. I'll get you your food. Okay, okay. thank you. Yep. Appreciate it. Yep, you're welcome. Obviously, I've been doing the pantry now for about 10 years. Um, as far as how it's changed, obviously, you know, just the process, everything that we do has definitely changed and really how it's grown. Um, I would say, honestly, when I first started doing pantry, we would see probably 30 families at the most um, who would come in and get food. Uh, and we only did it once a month then. So, I mean, we've really kind of changed the uh, frequency in which we do the pantry as well. We only did it once a month. So we'd see anywhere from probably 20 to 30 families um, during that month. Um, again, COVID changed everything. Families um, really kind of, if they lost income, if they had to take in pets from you know family members, or if they just found pets that Honestly, somebody just decided they didn't want, they let them go. We had a lot, I had one client uh, that came through and, you know, she had found this dog in her neighborhood, had 
It had tags on it, had collar, everything. She tried to reunite it with its family. But until then, you know, she needed food for that dog because she couldn't provide, you know, she was already on our pantry. So she obviously couldn't provide, you know, for that dog in addition to her own pets. Um, we relaxed a lot of our requirements for clients after, during and after COVID um, for being on the pet food pantry. Really now, as long as your dog is fixed, current on vaccinations, you can be on pantry. It's that easy. Having a volunteer that you can trust, a volunteer that knows so much, really it, it frees us up to expand our reach because we know we have someone trusted in this role to take care of this really important part of what we're doing. We can then work on expanding into other areas. So um, it just it's a really powerful thing to have someone who is um, capable of helping us in this way. I mean, I think as far as, you know, like personal experiences, you know, it's always nice, you know, when you kind of make that personal connection with the clients, because there's a lot of clients that come through and they're like, like, if I'm not here, they're like, Oh my gosh, where's Marcos at? You know? So it's kind of nice having that connection with the clients. And then I have <laughs> actually I have this one client that comes through. She, she always calls me Mijo, which is, you know, sure. Spanish for son. And, um, <laughs> she always jokes with me and she was like, you're out here in the car in the cold and the rain and the hot and the sun. And I'm like, you know what, as long as I'm helping you guys, that's, you know, that's why I'm here. That's, that's what I, that's what I come here to do. You know, it's not based on my comfortableness. It's not, you know, I don't, I don't do this because I'm getting paid obviously. And I don't do this because, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do it because it makes me feel good. And I know that I'm giving back to the community and I know how much it's appreciated by those clients. To learn more about our pet food pantry or to volunteer, head to prckc.org. lot of intestinal blockages and not only are they blocking up pets they're blocking up our urgent care schedule something fierce and that's really bad news because they can be very very bad so we've got our chief vet dr malia washington with us to chat about them hello dr washington hello hello so when we talk about blockages, are we talking only about the intestines? So no, it could be anywhere from honestly in the mouth or esophagus down into the stomach. And um, when we talk about the intestines, a lot of people just group them all together. But our digestive tract and dogs and cats digestive tract, um, we primarily are focusing on the stomach, the small intestine and the large intestine. And so a true blockage of something that is foreign. We see a lot of toys, a lot of socks, mm -hmm. um, maybe some underwear here and there where our dogs are eating stuff that they shouldn't be. And it stops the passage of normal um, food and digesta through their intestinal tract. And it can be very life-threatening very quickly. Um, and a lot of times we don't know that it's happening until it gets really bad. What are some of the most common causes of blockages that we see? Definitely animals eating something that they are not supposed to. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to get into the trash sometimes. I would say that dogs, probably more so than cats, have pretty 
pretty strong digestive tracts and they can pass, even my own dog can pass or vomit up pretty amazing amounts of things that they should not be eating, socks mm-hmm. especially. Um, but the most common causes of blockages in animals is that they're eating something that they shouldn't. Um, they got into the trash and ate something. I've had corn cobs yeah, and air- acorns and socks and underwear, clothing and toys are probably some of the top things that I have seen. Um, but anything their dog is eating besides dog food or some chicken table scraps here and there, um, that's what's going to cause them big problems. So what are some of the symptoms of blockages? The primary symptom that we are going to see with an intestinal blockage or um, a foreign body in the stomach or somewhere within their digestive tract is vomiting. Vomiting is one of the main signs that we see. Sometimes these pets will still go to the bathroom because if we have a blockage in the stomach or right at the entry of the small intestine, they still have maybe a day or so of feces and digestive that needs to move through, through their intestines. They may still go to the bathroom. They may have normal stools. They may have diarrhea, but they can't hold anything down for more than a few hours. So they may eat breakfast and then they'll throw up that undigested food maybe eight hours later when it should have been well passed through their intestines. Um, Some blockages allow for maybe minimal digestion around the blockage and we'll see sporadic vomiting um, that kind of gets worse over time. So if your pet is not eating, not drinking, can't hold water or food down and is vomiting um, with or without food and they're constantly nauseated and lethargic, we really need to see them. Um, It could be something that is not a blockage like pancreatitis or just a gastrointestinal upset like, like food poisoning in humans, but it's really important that we catch blockages quickly so we can do surgery and successfully remove whatever is in there and, and save your pet. It can definitely be life threatening. So what determines the severity of a particular blockage case and and what are the risks of surgery? So I would say my when my heart drops when I'm in a surgery is when I see what's called a linear foreign body. So pieces of, say, a string in a cat or ribbon or yarn in a cat or um, a sock in a dog that's partially digested, pieces of that string will start to digest and move through the intestinal tract. And it's stuck, whether in cats, those things like to get stuck on their tongue. Sometimes in dogs, it'll get stuck right at the entry of the stomach into the small intestine. And the intestinal tract essentially starts to accordion, like a covering of a straw over a straw. When you take a straw off Mm -hmm. and you push it down, it starts to accordion over. That's what the intestine is doing over that linear string. And it will be detrimental sometimes to the entirety of your small intestine. Um, And those surgeries are very time consuming. They can often lead to a tunneling of the intestine over itself called an intussusception um, or the rupture of the intestinal tract. So cats tend to do that more because they're more prone to each string, Mm. but I've definitely seen it in dogs and those are the ones that are very, very concerning. Um, The severity also depends on how long the symptoms have been going on. So if your dog has been vomiting and having, you know, a little bit of diarrhea, not holding his food down for a day versus a week, it's greatly going to determine the success of my surgery and the life of your pet. Um, 
Intestinal foreign bodies happen all the time. We see them a lot and we really want to be able to provide care and services. But if we're not available and you're worried about a foreign body, please take your pet to a private practice or an emergency clinic because sometimes we just simply are not available. We don't have the manpower to cover all of these cases. And if you're worried, it's best to just pay for that x-ray, get some peace of mind, um, follow up with us the next day or the next morning, and um, we'll always do what we can to help you. But um, they can get serious really quickly and we don't always, we're not always able to save them. And it's really hard on all of us and you. Um, so, and watch what your dog is eating. Try to pick up your socks, especially your kids and babies. If you have little ones in the house, because we, we never want to open a dog and take stuff out of them. And it's like, we've had a few that have been really rough lately. So I, it's been an emotional time for us here because we really want to save all of your pets. So the more you can do to help us stay informed and really watch what your pet does day in and day out and get them here soon, it will help us save your pet. Thank you so much, Dr. Washington. I really appreciate your time. Of course. And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks to Marcos Harders, Ray Lindsay, and Bree Wassinger for bringing us their insight on the pet food pantry today. And as for us, we're a nonprofit dedicated to keeping pets and people together, and you can help. You can go to prckc.org and donate, volunteer, shop our online store, find out about Pet Food Pantry, and more. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, please rate us and leave us a review. That always helps people find us. For all the latest information, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms. So tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the novelist Haruki Murakami wrote in the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, you're not a kid anymore. You have the right to choose your own life. You can start again. If you want a cat, all you have to do is choose a life in which you can have a cat. It's simple. It's your right. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, hosted by Kelly Johnson and Dave Shapiro, produced, written, recorded, mixed, and mastered by Dave Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Raw Musical Industries. <laughs>